Our reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. At Village, the Bible is central to everything we do. The Bible is God's primary way of speaking to his people, and it shapes everything we believe and everything we do. The Bible is God's word, his gift to us, the church. Because of this, after I finish reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we will all respond together. Thanks be to God. So let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning from Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so, like I said, we're, we're starting a, a new series, a new teaching series in the book of Hebrews. Um, I always get pretty excited about that. Um, I love that we can just take the time to, to read the Bible as it's presented to us and, and go through it bit by bit. Um, and so I hope that it's beneficial to you. Um, the book of Hebrews is a funny one in some ways. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty unique in, in the whole Bible. It's unique, certainly in the New Testament. Um, any of you, I'm sure there are better Bible scholars than me in the room. But, um, and if you know anything about Hebrews, you know that we don't know who wrote it. <laughs> I mean, obviously God wrote it, but we don't know who the, the human author was. And we don't know exactly who it was written to. There's lots of unknowns about this. I mean, we know that it was written to, um, it was written to some Italian Christians who probably were part of the church in Rome. We see that at the very end. There's, you know, there's some greetings uh, from Italian or two Italian Christians, and um, we know that they, it was written to Christians from a Jewish background. Um, but apart from that, we don't really know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written to. Um, in fact, I'm pretty convinced that uh, in the work I've done, I'm pretty convinced that this is not a letter at all, that this is actually a sermon. I, I, I can, I, if you want to talk to me, I can tell you why I think that, and that, that's fine. Um, I don't think it matters too much, but I think it reads more like a sermon than a letter. But what we do know, uh, what we can be sure of, is that this sermon or, or this letter, this book, we'll just call it a book, was delivered to a group of Jewish Christians um, who believed in Jesus, but had never met him face to face. So there's one thing that we have in common, right? Uh, we believe in Jesus. That's obviously we're Christians. That's kind of our thing. Um, but we, we've never met him face to face yet. And these Christians were, were the same. We know that from, and we'll see that throughout the book as we get into some of the details. And then the other thing we know is that because they believed in Jesus and because they, they were Christians, they were facing opposition, now, we know that they hadn't yet. It wasn't like as bad as, um, you know, some of the persecution that Christians faced under the Emperor Nero or something like that. They hadn't yet uh, been killed for their faith or, or been, as we, they hadn't really had, uh, hadn't really spilled any blood for their faith, as it were, but they were facing opposition. And because of that, what was happening was they were tempted to slip back away from Jesus and slip back into their Jewish ideals and their Jewish uh, religion, um, and this is a message of encouragement. This book is a message of encouragement to stay on course, to keep following to Jesus, to, to keep pursuing him. Don't fall away from Jesus. And really, if we were to sum it up, we could say that, that Hebrews is designed to leave us with no doubt whatsoever 
that Jesus Christ is ultimately and completely superior to everything that came before him. And so we should push deeper into our relationship with him and not fall away from him. This book is is to tell us that, that, that Jesus is completely and ultimately superior to everything that came before him. And that's why we're calling this series, Jesus is Better. Jesus is better. Now, uh, we see this word uh, better uh, right throughout this book. Um, It's mentioned 13 times, actually, across the whole book. And it actually means maybe a better translation might be uh, more excellent. More excellent. Because when we think of better, we think of like something that's better than something that was not as good. Um, But actually, more excellent, I think, captures that idea of, uh, you know, what, what came before was pretty excellent, and this is more excellent. Um, And we're going to spend the next few months considering that Jesus is more excellent. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than what? Jesus is better than than, than the Old Testament. Jesus is better than uh, anything we put our hope in, anything we put our trust in, any relationships, any highs, any lows, any any riches, any uh, relationships, anything. Jesus is better than all these things. Uh, just a, a quick overview then of this, Ethan, if you can throw it up. Um, I, I've kind of broken the book. This is, don't worry, you don't have to learn this. It's just for, to give us an idea where we're going. Um, broken the book up into five sections. And in each section, we see uh, Jesus is better than something uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. And then it comes with a warning. So firstly, we see that Jesus is better than the angels in the Torah. So the angels are God's original messengers, if you like. And the, and the warning, or sorry, and, and we're hearing that Jesus is a better message. So let's not neglect the message of Jesus, the warning that comes in the first two chapters. Then we see that Jesus is better than Moses and the promised land. Moses is this, this leader of God's people, but Jesus is the ultimate leader of God's people. So, so let's not reject or rebel against the leadership of Jesus. Then in chapters 5 to 7, we see that Jesus is, the, is better than the priests of the Old Testament. The priests were uh, people who were uh, to, to, to present God to the people, if you like. The, the, the in-between, the mediators between uh, God and, and the people. And Jesus is the better priest. That's one thing that makes this book unique. It's the only book in the whole New Testament that teaches us about the priesthood of Jesus. Which is pretty interesting. We're definitely going to get into that as we go through. Uh, but the, but so, so we shouldn't ignore the reconciliation of Jesus. That reconciliation that God, uh, Jesus has re- reconciled us to God. Then fourthly, in chapters 8 and 10, we see that Jesus is better than the, the old covenant and all the sacrifices. The sacrifices that were designed to, to, to uh, provide forgiveness of sins. And we'll get into this uh, later on as we go through. But Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And he gives us once and for all forgiveness. And so uh, we shouldn't reject that. And then the last thing then is in the last uh, three chapters, that Jesus presents this better way to live. All of this has come before, so therefore what will we do? We follow the great examples of faith, and we'll see these in chapter 11. Don't give up the way of Jesus. That's the warning. Don't give up the way of Jesus. Now, please don't freak out if you're like, I'm going to be here for the next wee while, and I don't understand anything you just said. That's okay. I said a lot of stuff there that you might not understand. And there's a lot of stuff in the book of Hebrews that takes us back to the Old Testament. It's a, it's a book that's packed full of the Old Testament because it's written to Jewish people at a very particular time. Uh, and, and so it's referring a lot to the old Jewish religion. And we're going to get to know that. And we're going to see God working through the Old Testament. We're going to see how God has always been working his salvation out through all of history. Um, so don't worry if you don't know any of those things. Um, that's okay. We'll get there. 
really what we're going to see time and time again through this book is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Better than anything we put our hope in. Better than any of our greatest joys. Better than any of our deepest fears. Jesus is better. So then, let's begin. Let's get into chapter 1 of this book. I almost tried to, I tried to scroll up my Bible like it's a touch screen. There you go. That's the state of the world. Now we scroll books. There you go. Um, have you ever considered how much noise there is in your life? Emily's like, yeah, yeah, I have two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean that. And I do. Uh, earlier on in the first guy, I was talking about my neighbor. Uh, he, you know, it's Saturday night and lockdown's coming again. So he's like having one last party. Um, and someday he's going to listen to a sermon and know that I talk about him a lot. Um, but uh, he, he uh, you know, I got up at half six and they're still there, you know, going great, brilliant. Uh, so not that kind of noise, not the kind of noise from kids or not the kind of noise from noisy housemates or anything. The kind of noise uh, of the things that our brains take in all the time, trying to um, get our attention. So if you turn on your radio in the morning or listen to a podcast or open your laptop or turn on the TV or l- lift up your phone, the noise of, of, of er- the information going into our brains, voices everywhere, even you go outside, advertisements like uh, images trying to communicate to us. Every single one of these things is a voice trying to get our attention, trying to, trying to influence the way we think about things trying to influence what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about the world around us, what we believe about other people. The world is full of voices trying to get us to listen. And what you believe, your worldview, is shaped by these voices. I've said this analogy before. Um, Imagine uh, two fish swimming in the sea and one says to the other, good morning, Bob, because I don't know why he's called, maybe it's because he bobs in the, in the water, I don't know. Um, good morning, Bob, nice, the water's nice today. And Bob says, what's water? And the point is that he's immersed in the water and he breathes it in, it's all around him, and he can't even conceive that there is water. That's like us, we're all influenced by these voices. We don't, we, sometimes we have these opinions and, and beliefs and we don't even know where they came from. The world is noisy. And so the question, the challenge, I guess, is what voices do we listen to? What are, what are you being shaped by? What are you letting influence you? What is it that shapes what you believe about yourself? What is it that shapes what you believe about the world around you? Because so many of these voices that we put our trust in, that we put our hope in, that we look for security in, we look for identity in, can't offer us any real hope or any real security. I mean, you may put your trust in the voice of the doctor and you hope that she can give you good news. And maybe she will give you good news and maybe she's a really, really good doctor. But even if she gives you good news that the cancer is gone or the tumor is benign or you don't have COVID, what real and lasting hope is there in that anyway? Or maybe you put your trust in what social media tells you about what your body should look like or how you should dress or what you should believe about X, Y, and Z. What it means to be a man or be a woman or, or be any, what to believe about gender in general or how to be a parent. And what eternal hope is there in any of those voices? What eternal hope is there? What lasting hope is there in any of those things you decide to be influenced by? 
Maybe you put your trust in the voice of a mortgage broker. And you know that, well, if I can just get the money together to buy this, this home, then, you know, then I can settle a little bit because then I'll have security. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's the lasting thing for me. But the truth is, one day you're going to die and one day that house is going to crumble. And the point is that none of the voices that we listen to Tell us what to think or what to believe or shape our worldview can actually offer us any lasting hope. Think about it. That thing that you're thinking about right now, maybe you're thinking about something specific, play out this conclusion. Even you live to be a hundred, it can't offer you any lasting hope. And here's the thing. Hebrews is telling us right from the start that there is one voice, that there is one voice that we should listen to that can offer us lasting hope. Hebrews is telling us right from the start, pay attention to what God has said about himself to us through Jesus. Pay attention to what God has said about himself to us through Jesus. Now, maybe you never considered this before, uh, even if you've been a Christian for a while, but God speaks, okay? Uh, Maybe you are familiar with that, maybe you're not, but it's really, really important. God is not silent. God isn't silent. Imagine if God had never spoken. How could we ever have gotten to know him? How do you get to know someone? Maybe you meet someone, you go on a date, or maybe you meet a new friend, you go out. Maybe you meet your neighbor. How do you get to know each other? You talk. You talk to each other. This is how we know God. And he has spoken to reveal himself to us because he wants us to know him. God speaks to reveal himself to us because he wants us to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be close to him. That's why he speaks. It's vital because without him speaking and making himself known to us, there is no way that we could ever have known him. And he says that this book starts with, God has spoken. God has spoken and he's got something to say. And so the next question is, well, if this God is a God who speaks and he has spoken to us, then, then why, and we know why he's spoken, then how has he spoken? How has he made himself known? What has he said? Well, these first two verses of, of Hebrews tells us. Listen again, it says, Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So that's two different things there. Firstly, God spoke long ago at many times in many ways to our forefathers through the prophets. Let me just break that down for us a minute. Long ago doesn't, it means, it, the, that's the Hebrews way of saying everything that came from, the, from creation, the beginning of time, to Jesus. That's what God means. Long ago, in the, old, in the time of the Old Testament, God spoke. And how has he spoken? Well, even before there were prophets, God was speaking in many ways. And the first way he speaks and has spoken, I think, is in creation. We've all seen this, haven't we? A couple of years ago, I was in Canada uh, for a friend's wedding, and, and me and Haley were there, and uh, it was late at night, and we were, uh, we were just in the most beautiful place I've ever been, probably. And there, it was in the middle of nowhere, uh, beside a forest and beside the sea. It was great. And just going out there and looking up at the stars in the middle of the night, like, actually... Over, actually overwhelming, causing an emotional response. You've never seen this many stars and you can see the Milky Way just across the whole sky. Like, unbelievable. And maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe you've gone down to the, up to the North Coast and you've seen the, the waves crashing on the rocks or something like that. 
But God speaks through creation, and God has spoken through creation. Psalm 19 tells us in the Bible, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's like creation is shouting out, Look at how amazing God is. He goes on, day to day pours out speech. Every day creation just pouring out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. It's like, <laughs> this cannot be heard. What God has sent through creation is heard by everyone. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Creation, God has spoken through his creation. He's telling us how amazing, how marvelous and how wonderful and how majestic he is. But creation isn't the only way that God has spoken. Um, God has made his voice known in, in more specific ways, hasn't he? Um, there was a time when, when God decided to speak in very clear and specific ways, not just in a general, um, look how amazing I, I am, study these insects to see how incredible, how incredible I am. But God loves his people so much that he wanted to reveal specific things about himself to them. And so that's when he brought along these people called prophets. And the prophets are, uh, in the Old Testament, specific people who had messages from God for the people. And a lot of that is recorded in the Bible. We, the Bible's full of them. Moses, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Haggai, Malachi, all these prophets telling us, bringing messages from God to his people. And for the Jewish people in the Old Testament, that was how they heard from God. In the ancient times, God's people heard from God through the prophets. That's why right throughout the Old Testament, you see these phrases like, this is the word of the Lord, or so says the Lord, thus says the Lord. God delivering his message to his people. God spoke in many ways at various times. Some of the, I love some of the ways that God spoke to even his prophets in the Old Testament. Moses goes up the mountain. God speaks to him in thunder and lightning. Elijah, he speaks to Elijah in a still small voice as he hides in a cave inside of a hill. I love that. He speaks to Ezekiel through visions. He speaks to Daniel through dreams. God's overwhelming the desire to communicate himself to his people, people led him to speak in many different ways. He's just like, I want, I want you to hear me. I want you to know me. That was long ago. So what about now? Because the writer of Hebrews here says that there was once long ago, but now he says, but in these last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, these last days, there's something that is different. This is a new era, okay? Um, the Bible breaks this down very, very clearly. And, and there is something in the mind of the writer of Hebrews that says that when Jesus came, that was the start of a new era. God used to do this, and now he does this. And these last days are, are the times between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We live in these last days now. You know what that means? That means that whatever he's saying here, in these last days, it's true for us. So in these last days, God has spoken to us, verse 2, by his Son. By his Son. By Jesus. God has revealed himself to us. Remember his old point? He's like, I want to tell you what I'm like. I want to show you what I'm like because I want you to get to know me. I want you to love me. God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Everything that God wanted to say about himself, he has said through Jesus. So in these past times, 
He spoke through the prophets in creation and, 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 and all kinds of ways. And he still speaks in those ways, by the way. And now in these last days, he used to speak to our forefathers. Now he speaks to us. He used to speak through the prophets. Now he's spoken by his son. In various ways, he used to speak. Now he's spoken in one way. One authoritative way. And sometimes we think that, well, this means that God speaks through the words of Jesus. Like everything Jesus said that we read in the Gospels, you know, uh, that's what, what, what God is saying through Jesus to us. But it's much, much more than that. And here's what I want us to get our head around. Jesus is what God has said about himself to us. Jesus is the, the thing that God has said to us about himself. Okay? It's not just that Jesus tells us about God or that Jesus teaches us about God or Jesus says things about God. It's much, much more than that. Jesus is God's communication of himself to us. He is the word of God. John's gospel tells us, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word took on flesh and made his home among us. The thing that God spoke became one of us. It's, a concept, it's, it's kind of a, a tricky concept to get your head around. And, and hopefully, uh, over the next 20 minutes, we're gonna, you'll get your head right around it. It's through the words and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus that we see God. Jesus is God's final word to us about himself. I mean, you're saying, well, oh, oh, hang on, but wait, that's a big claim because uh, don't we always say every Sunday, this is the word of the Lord? Yeah, we do. Well, then how can you say that Jesus is God's final word that God has given to us about himself? Well, God speaks. He still speaks through all of this. This is all God's word. He still speaks to us in the New Testament. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus. He still speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, you know, and one another when your friend encourages you or challenges you. Sometimes he still speaks in visions and dreams. I know some of you experienced that. So have I. God does speak in those ways. But, but the point is that God never says anything through any of these means that contradicts what he has said to us in Jesus. God never says anything about himself to us that he hasn't already said through Jesus. And you say, well, hang on. Does this mean that everything that came in the Old Testament was bad? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, if I start saying a sentence to you and uh, I haven't reached the end of the sentence, does that mean that the words I've said are, are bad or untrue? No, it just means that you might not get the full picture of what I'm trying to say until I get to the end of the sentence. Not, uh, it doesn't mean the start of the sentence is any less true or, or bad. Uh, you, you watch The Office, so you know who Michael Scott is. Everyone, everyone knows Michael Scott. <laughs> I love Michael Scott. He said, he said this thing, he's like, sometimes I just start talking and I don't know where I'm going to end up. <laughs> and I, I love that. It's funny. But that's the opposite of God. You see, God is not like Michael Scott. God knew what he was going to say from, from the time began to time end. And he knew he was always going to finish that sentence with Jesus. It doesn't mean that what he said at the start was bad or untrue or wrong. It just means that he hadn't yet finished his sentence. All the things in the Old Testament, the feasts and the sacrifices and the rituals and the laws, all those things are good, but Jesus is better. Or think about it this way. 
Um, if you're an architect and uh, you know, you've been given the task of, of designing a, a hospital, well, what do you do? You make a model. You've all seen architects' models, I'm sure, um, or, or at least in, in pictures of them. Um, and, and the model is great. The model is brilliant. The model is perfect. The model uh, looks how the hospital will look. It shows you where the, the doors are, the windows are, where the, the road will go, where the car park will be, all these kinds of things. But, but it can't fulfill the purpose of the hospital. Too small. Like in Zoolander, I'm going to get Zoolander, when he wants to build the school, and then they're like, he's like, what is this, a center for ants? You know, the wee tiny model. That's it. The model's good. The model's necessary, but it can't fulfill the full purpose. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the, of the model of the uh, Old Testament. And let me give you this one other example of this, because I want to get this clear at the very, very start. Um, can we go back to the first slide, please, Ethan? Um, uh, Tim Farrell, who, who did our, he's our graphic designer, and he did this artwork. It's much better on your phone screen or the projector kind of doesn't do it justice. But he gave me this analogy. Um, you know when you look at a light, you look, you look at one of these bulbs, and what do you see? You see white light. But remember back in science and school, and you had these lights, and you would get a wee prism, and you'd shine the light through? Did I, you look at me like this is, yeah, okay. What happens when you shine a light through a prism? When you hold a, a prism up to the light, you see the full spectrum of the light. You see everything it contains. You see all the colors, the full spectrum, all the majesty of that light. There's even things in that, and this is where the analogy breaks down because we can't see x-rays and infrarays and all that kind of stuff. But through the prism, we see the full majesty of what is in that light. This is like Jesus. It's like, it's like he is like a prism held up to the light of God that we can see the full majesty and the full spectrum of God. So thank you to Tim for that, because I think it looks great. God is a speaking God. He speaks to us because he wants us to know him, and he has spoken to us through his Son. So let's listen to what he has to say. But the second question, or the second thing that the, 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 the writer of Hebrews wants to do in this introduction, these, these three little verses, right at the start of his sermon, he wants to, to, to lay his cards on the table. He wants to set out his stall. He wants to show, hey, this is where we're going. This is who we're going to be talking about. This is who we're going to study. So what is it about Jesus that allows us to see God through him? How is it that we see the full spectrum of God through this person of Jesus? There's seven things that we see here in these few verses that I want to pull out. Seven things crammed into what in the original language was one sentence. Seven things about Jesus. Seven different aspects of Jesus. Seven reasons to remind us and to show us and to highlight to us that Jesus is better. That he's more excellent. Firstly, that all things belong to Jesus. This is what it says. In these last days, he has spoken to us, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Now, when we think of an inheritance, what do you think of? You think of a great auntie. It's always like a great aunt that dies. Isn't it? Great auntie has died, and, and then you get like a house or something. I wish. That'd be amazing. But um, I don't want anyone to die. That's <laughs> so bad. Okay, I'll cut that out of the recording. Cut that out. Ethan, cut that out. <laughs> um, 
But it's like we get something that wasn't ours and then we take ownership of it. But that's not the concept here with Jesus. That's not what it is because we know that all things do belong to Jesus, right? He's not inheriting something that doesn't belong to him. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that all things were created through him and for him. Everything does belong to him. But in our sinful world, when we look around, we know that it seems that it doesn't always seem like Jesus has everything, that all things belong to him. But what Hebrews 1 verse 2 is saying, that when Jesus comes back, in the end, that he will take visible ownership of all things. That there will be no doubt whatsoever that Jesus is in control, that all things belong to him. Romans eleven thirty six tells us, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. That means that in that day, there will not be one atom in the whole universe that you'll go, oh, I wonder who that belongs to. Nah, you'll look at that and you'll understand that belongs to Jesus. Every grain of sand, every tree, every bird, every mountain, every planet, every galaxy, every star, from the smallest particle to the biggest thing, all things will be visibly and demonstrably under the control of Jesus, belonging to him. The Bible says, you use this phrase, all things. You know what that means? It means all things. It means literally everything. It doesn't mean some things or most things. And here's not the end. Here's the good news for us, uh, as if that wasn't good news enough. Romans 8 tells us that we are heirs with Christ, that we share his inheritance. If you're a Christian this morning, everything that belongs to Jesus will come to you. That means that we will receive all things with Christ. The entirety of creation will belong to us because we belong to Jesus. And so on that day, when Jesus fully comes into ownership of this stuff, man, we will get to fully enjoy and appreciate all of creation. See, in a million years, I'm off to Jupiter. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure exactly what it's like. That was a joke. Don't quote me on a weird theology. I'm just saying that we will get to enjoy creation forever, all of it. Now, let me ask you, how many of the things the world outside of Jesus, how many of those voices can say that? That good news that the doctor gives you, can it offer you that level of hope? Jesus is better and God speaks through him. Secondly, I need to speed up here a little bit. The world <clears throat> was created through Jesus. Well, it says that uh, he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Um, <coughs> The world here means everything. It means, it means the universe. It means the created world that we see. Um, why is it that Jesus should inherit everything? Because he made it. He made everything. He made everything. Everything that exists in time and space was created through Jesus. Did you know that? In creation, what happens is that the Father, God the Father, you know this God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three in one, the Father says, let's create, and the Son says, it's done. That's what happens. That's the relationship for them. God the Son, who, who became the man, Jesus, created everything that has ever been created in all of time and space. Now, and here's what I want to point out, because we sometimes think of creation like uh, God kind of assembled things. Um, like, you know, when, when I build, uh, we have quite a few bits of Ikea stuff in our house. When you build something from Ikea, you're like, oh yeah, you're like, good job, look at that bookcase, it hasn't fallen down. That's not what Jesus did. 
He called into being, into existence, what did not exist before. No one can do that. No one can do that. Only Jesus. He didn't assemble the parts of creation. He called into being what did not previously exist. Think of that. He made everything out of nothing. Now, can the things that you put your trust in, you know where I'm going with this, do the things that you put your hope in, can they say that? Can they measure up to that? that? That body image that you work so hard for? Did it create the world out of nothing? Jesus is better. God speaks through him. Thirdly then, we see this about Jesus. That God's glory shines through him. I love this one. Uh, verse 3 tells us that, that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Pause there. He is the radiance of the glory of God. What does this mean? Well, um, I was just about to start talking about the sun. It looks like the sun is coming out a wee bit. Thanks God for that. Um, think about how we experience the sun. We experience the sun because the sun shines, right? The only way we know the sun exists is because it radiates. It radiates light and heat Warmth and all kinds of UV rays and all kinds of stuff. The only reason we know the sun exists, the only reason that we can see the sun, experience the sun, is because it radiates outward. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the glory of God going forth. The glory of God is simply just, is simply just God going out. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is like the rays of the sun shine to us so that we can experience God. He is God radiating forth. Jesus radiates the very nature and glory of God. And that means, you know what that means? That means that to see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus is to see God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Now, can any of the things that you put your trust in say that? Ah, that, that steady income is really good, I'm sure. Feels good. Bit of security. Can it really offer you lasting hope? Can it really say that to see your income is to see God? Jesus is better and God speaks through Jesus. Fourthly then, God's nature is seen in Jesus. Verse 3 tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now this phrase in the original language, the, the exact imprint, it's kind of like an engraved image um, or like uh, imagine an image on a coin. So when you see the queen's head on a coin, that's what this word is describing. It, it's, the, the comp it's a perfect personal imprint, right? Um, and so Jesus is the perfect personal imprint of God. In fact, actually the, 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 the actual Greek word here is character, which is where we get the English word character. <laughs> it's pretty much the same word. Jesus is the character and nature of God made visible and accessible. Whatever God is can be seen and touched and experienced and known and enjoyed in Jesus. See how this works? When I said that, 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 that Jesus is what God has said to us about himself, it's because he is God's nature being radiated towards us. He is the exact imprint of the character and nature of God. Jesus is God made visible. So you want to know what God is like? Look at and listen to Jesus. You want to know what God loves and what God hates? Look at and listen to Jesus. You want to know what's important to God? Look at and listen to Jesus. The exact imprint 
of His nature. Now, can any of the things that you trust in, put your hope in, any of those things say that? Get the point that I'm making? It's finding a partner or finding your identity. Are those things the exact imprint of the nature of God? Jesus is better, man. Jesus is better. And God has spoken through Jesus. Fifthly, then, by the way, I know this is kind of like a fire hose. It's kind of. It's what he's done here. He's like, oh, you know, here's a fire hose open wide. It's just all this stuff about Jesus. It's like he wants us to, to, to grab our attention with all this stuff about Jesus, and then he's going to unpack it. So I know there's a lot going on here, but, but if, if we, can just, we can just grab a, 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 grasp a little bit of who Jesus is, it would blow us away. Fifth thing, listen to this one. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The universe is sustained by Jesus, right? Um, in New York, in the um, uh, Rockefeller Plaza in New York, in Manhattan, um, it's really, really cool. They have this statue of Atlas, um, who is holding the world on his shoulders. I'm sure you've seen this. Like, just like a big, big guy, like holding the globe on his shoulders. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that Jesus is just like some muscly guy holding up the world. It means that Jesus didn't just create the world, he sustains it. That means that if Jesus stopped sustaining it, it would stop. Jesus carries along everything to its appointed goal. Jesus is making the, the universe and the world work as it should, and we know it. He's making everything move forward. He keeps the world turning. He keeps the, the planets orbiting the sun. He keeps the, the, the grass growing and the, and the rain, the, the water cycle happening, all those things. He organizes and or orchestrates it all. He gives order to everything so that all of creation can, can achieve what God created them for. He makes sure that everything finds a true purpose. And he does this by the power of his word, by his powerful word. That means that to say that, that Jesus just speaks and it happens. The, the, the power generated by his word sustains and upholds and gives, gives direction and purpose to everything in existence. The universe is not just happening. You know, how we ha you know how we have these laws of, of physics and laws of nature? Because Jesus keeps them happening. If Jesus decided that the apple shouldn't fall on Newton's head, it wouldn't. Jesus sustains the universe. Nothing is an accident. Nothing is, a, is accidental. This is our Jesus. Now, your money worries, can they say that? Can, 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 they, can your money worries... Can they affect the operation of the universe? Jesus is better, and God has spoken through him. Sixthly then, our sins are forgiven in Jesus. It actually says here um, in verse three that he made, or, yeah, verse three, that he made purification for sins. Firstly, uh, these are kind of, I, I borrowed these three things about this statement, made purification from a guy called Sam Storms, who you should all look up. He's, he's a great teacher. And he, he has these three observations. And the first thing he says that, that he made purification of sins. That means it was purposeful. He had to do it. You weren't going to get naturally just forgiveness. You know that if you've ever had to forgive someone, it just doesn't happen. You have to make it happen. And then also, he made purification for our sins. 
Past tense, it's done. It wasn't, it's not something that he is still doing. He has done this. It doesn't mean that, it, so that means that you don't have to, every time you mess up, you don't have to go and ask Jesus to die for you again. It's all done. It's finished. It's complete. And all we have to do is repent and believe. Now, you might be asking, well, what does this thing purification mean? He did purification for sins. That's weird. And it is weird language. And we don't get it because we're not uh, ancient Near Eastern Jewish folks. Why is purification necessary? And again, we'll see this in more detail as we go through uh, the book. But, but sin, that rejection of God, that idolatry of our hearts to think we don't need God, that's like a disease. It's like, a, it's like it runs through our veins. It's like a cancer. It, it, it defiles us. It, it makes us unclean. God is, is beautiful and holy. There's nothing that is not good about him. And so as long as we're defiled, then we, we can't be close to him because we'd just be destroyed. For ever to be close to God, we would have to be purified. And that is what Jesus has done for us. Um, we see later on in Hebrews chapter 9 that there is no, uh, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And, and so by shedding of his blood as a sacrifice on the cross in our place, Jesus has made us pure and clean. He's done what was necessary to make us pure before God. And here's the good news. That means all your sin, past, present, and future, have all been made pure. It means that this once and for all sacrifice of Jesus that he made purification, it's done. It means that all the guilt that you have or ever will have is taken away. It means all the rejection and imperfection that you feel or ever will feel has been dealt with. It means that all the wrongs that you've done or ever will do have been dealt with. That lack of fulfillment or insecurity you feel that you carry with you and you might still carry with you, the anxiety, Jesus purified all of that. Jesus has done this for you. Jesus is better, and God has spoken through him. The last thing then, number seven, the ruler of all things is Jesus. Listen, uh, listen to what verse three says. It says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does this mean? Well, firstly, to be seated at the right hand of the majesty means that Jesus is enthroned. It means that Jesus is on a throne. So by saying this, and by being seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of the majesty, that means that Jesus, it's a symbol of saying that Jesus is the king over all things and all people. That, that he has power and he reigns over all nations, all rulers, all angels, all demons, all spheres of reality, all prime ministers and presidents, all people, all places, all time, all weather, your life, my life. Jesus is king over it all. And so, by the way, if, if life feels a bit out of control at the minute, or if you feel out of control, be reminded of this. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power has also now been seated at the right hand of God, and he reigns supreme. The world is not out of control. Because, God, because Jesus is on his throne, and nobody or nothing can challenge him. Secondly, then, to be seated uh, like this at someone's right hand in the Bible, it just means it symbolizes that you have a position of, 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 of honor and privilege. Jesus has a position of honor. He's given honor. He gets to sit at the right hand of God. He is victorious and powerful. 
He's honored by God himself. He's our friend. He has spoken to us and made himself known so that we could be his friend. Think about that. Thirdly, and I think most importantly of all, Jesus made the once and for all sacrifice that purified us before God, right? We saw that. And then what happened? Then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. What this means is, when in, in, in kind of Old Testament language, when someone sits down, it means their job is done. The work's finished. Jesus sat down. Your sin is completely forgiven. You don't need to carry that with you anymore. You don't need to carry that guilt you feel, uh, that insecurity. You don't need to carry um, all those wrong things you've done. Jesus' work is finished. You've been set free. Jesus sat down. All the sacrifices that we'll learn about in the, in the Old Testament could never fully take away sin. Jesus, on the other hand, is a once and for all sacrifice, fully and forever gives our sin through his sacrifice. So he sat down. Now let me finish with this thought, or question, I guess. The question is, so what? Why would, why would the, the, the author of Hebrews start with this? Why would he start? What does this even matter? Well, the whole way through, I was given these little challenges of, can the thing that you're tempted to put your trust in, that you do put your trust in, can those things really offer you lasting hope? That's kind of the little challenge. Because here's the thing. Life is hard, isn't it? We all know that. I don't know all of you. I don't know the specific things you're going through. But I do know one thing, that being a Christian is hard. And I do know another thing. It's only going to get harder as long as we're here. You're going to face all kinds of, not, not just low points in your life, but you're going to face all kinds of opposition and trials because you love Jesus. And you'll want to give up. You'll want to give in. I do. Time to time, I'm like, why am I doing this? And in these hard times, it's specifically, or it's especially uh, tempting to think, well, I can just put, you know, maybe, maybe if I had more money in the bank, or maybe if I actually believed in something different, or maybe if I had, you know, maybe if I had the perfect partner, or maybe if I had the perfect job, or the perfect family, or whatever it is, maybe if I had all these things that the world tells me I should put my hope in, then maybe life would be better. But really, what hope is there in anything except Jesus? You guys know this. What hope is there in anything except Jesus? Anything other than the Jesus that we see in Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3, and actually throughout the rest of the whole book, anything other than this Jesus is at best a temporary hope. At its very best is temporary. This Jesus, this Jesus who upholds the, the, the universe by the word of his power, who all things were created through, who, who has made purification for sins, who sat down at the right hand of the majesty. This Jesus is the hope that we need now. It's the hope that the world needs now. Everyone else is just going to let us down eventually. Listen, we all have needs, and I know that our church has many needs. I know that you guys have many needs, and like I said at the very, very beginning, if you do have needs, then please don't do that alone. But Jesus is the hope that the world needs now. Only Jesus can forgive sins, right? Only Jesus can show us what God is like. Only Jesus can, can 
give us a way to come close to God. Only Jesus can offer real help in times of need. Only Jesus can deliver us from death. Only Jesus can preserve us through life. Only Jesus can give us hope that lasts forever. He is far superior to anything. Created the world. He upholds the world. All things belong to him. He's the exact imprint of God. When we, he is God. When we look at him, we see God. God is made known through him. He's made forgiveness of our sins and he has sat down at the right hand of majesty. His work is finished. So what other hope do we need? So can I just encourage you, if you are putting your hope in other things this morning, turn to Jesus. Put your hope ultimately in Jesus. The only thing that will last. Jesus is better. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, firstly, I want to thank you that you speak. I want to thank you that you did not remain silent. You didn't just set the world spinning and then leave us to it. You love us and you want us to know you for our benefit and for our good. And so you have spoken. Thank you that you've spoken through your son, Jesus. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, thank you that we can know you through your son, through Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us as a church, even those friends that are visiting this morning or people just, maybe even just, checking Christianity out or something. Lord, I just pray that, that you would show us that you're the only hope that we have, that, that literally everything else, even all the good things in life, don't last forever. You do, and the hope you give us is eternal. Help us to put our hope in you, Lord. We love you. Amen.